All right, we're recording. So welcome, everybody. Uh, kind of have a panel of AMA. Uh, I think you guys know me. I'll be on camera here in a few minutes. Um, and then you have Brian Gorman, uh, Microsoft MVP and Microsoft Certified Trainer, and Derek Sharp. Derek, what's your new title? So I am a Azure Technical Specialist in App Innovation now. So I was a Cloud Solution Architect for Microsoft for about four years in App Innovation and, and then Started this fiscal year, I moved to a new role they created, which is technical specialist. Nice. Actually, Brian, I don't know if you work for Microsoft much, but we used to have the the TSP role back in in the day, uh, Azure TSP role, and they did away with the Azure TSP role and folded those into the Cloud Solution Architects, and then they decided, no, okay. we actually need those again, so we brought them back. So. Yeah, I think uh, back in the day. I used to do trainings where it would be the TSP people would come in um, because there were a certain number of trainings and growth initiatives that had to be done every year. So yeah, and, but, and TSPs were kind of a, a pre-sales resource. So you know those mm -hmm. learning uh, learning options and and early discussions with customers is where the TSPs role fell into. Yeah, lots of uh, lots of Azure architecture discussions. Like how do we do this thing? How do we make that thing work? What's this for? So they would usually qualify it and then hand it off to a cloud solution architect to, to go a lot deeper on it. So. Yeah. So which do you like better, CSA or TSP? Um, there's a lot of similarities between them. So um, some internal reasons, I chose the TS role instead of staying, staying as a CSA, but um, uh, politics and stuff. and. and in with it and kind of where the CSA role was was heading. Um, so I think the TS the TS role I think is a, a better fit for me. So. Nice. I don't know if you guys want to talk, Eric, you talked a little bit about your background, but like kind of questions you would have be probably both of you for Azure. Derek, you kind of have the inside Microsoft lens and then Brian, you'd have like the outside Microsoft lens. Um, but both kind of closely being related. Uh, if anybody has any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat or hop off mute. Uh, this isn't going to be like a super strict thing. So otherwise, Brian, do you want to talk a little bit about your background while we maybe get some questions going? Like, Sure. Yeah, and if you have a question, just raise your hand or um, type it in chat and we'll, we'll check that out as we go here. But so I'm Brian. I have been in development. I got a computer science degree in the early 2000s at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. And then I went on and got a master's um, in computer information systems after that um, from the University of Phoenix. So that was easier than high school, quite frankly. Uh, but whatever, it was a master's, so it worked. Then I got into teaching computer science online. Um, so I got to do a lot of data structures, object-oriented programming. Um, I was also a developer full-time. Um, so I did the teaching on the side. And ultimately, uh, I was driving to Des Moines one day, and I just, just kind of felt it in my being, for lack of a better way of putting it, that I needed to be a trainer as more of a producer. I still love coding, and I still love development, and I still love that stuff, but I really get my fulfillment from training. And my number one fulfillment training thing that I do right now um, is I actually work through a couple of companies, but ultimately through Microsoft. Um, to do what's called the Microsoft Software and Systems Academy. It's a transitioning program for military veterans. 
um, as they transition out of the military. Um, I take specifically the cloud application development path. So I teach you Java or sorry, C Sharp, uh, .NET, um, and then all the Azure stuff for the AZ900, AZ204, uh, that stuff all goes along the way. Um, so it's really cool. Um, and then I also do certification training. Um, I'm in the process of building out a program. I had to, I had it working before Microsoft had gold and silver partnership um, to help companies get partnership with Microsoft. Uh, if you're any, anything aware, the partnership roles and rules have changed quite frank, uh, quite substantially. Uh, and so I'm in the process of revamping that program and looking to potentially uh, enroll some clients in January to help um, skill your teams up for Microsoft partnership. So that's kind of what I do. Um, 20 years of .NET development, uh, along with all the training in the Azure, I got about 11 certifications, um, which is, just means that I've taken a lot of tests and did well on them. But really, um, it behooves me to take tests because in MCT, I can't train on something until I have the certification. So um, that being said, if you have questions about certification or where to get started or anything about training, I'm happy to jump in and answer those questions too. Actually, I just realized all three moderators on here are all Iowa State grads. So nice. So uh, we were doing Prairie Code in Des Moines a few years ago, and it was right after the Iowa Iowa State football game. And of course, Iowa happened to win that one, as they often do. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of Iowa people in the room, but it was uh, myself and Javier Lozano and Scott Sauber. We were all doing. Talks that day, I said, you guys may have won the football game, but everybody in here is learning from Iowa State grads. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, That's awesome. So, anybody have a question? I, I guess I have. Derek, how did, how did your path end up at Microsoft? You know, you were, <laughs> I think, locally around a while, and then somehow ventured out to Microsoft in spirit, so I, not physically. <laughs> yeah, I, I got lucky. I got recruited in Microsoft. I had been working in industry around Microsoft, various or around Des Moines, excuse me, um, various companies over the years, um, almost for 20 years at that point. I was working for what was a, a Viva Investors at that point. Now it's Athene um, as a... a I was leading a software development team, so I was kind of going down the management route. I got a, a call from a recruiter uh, inside Microsoft, asked me if I was interested in, uh, potentially interested in a position at Microsoft. And um, I said, well, who wouldn't be? So I did a quick uh, uh, on-phone interview with the recruiter, got passed on to a, uh, uh, another guy who was um, actually ended up being one of my colleagues with, uh, for kind of a technical interview. And then got um, brought up to Minneapolis to go through a, a day of interviewing, which is, was their kind of standard interviewing process at the time, and then ended up getting an offer. So um, that was 12 and a half years ago. So I've been with them ever since. Nice, so probably can't ask you specifically interview tips and tricks, or do you, do you work on that front often or? It's 12 years, um, their process has probably changed slightly. And and it really is more of the area you're interviewing with. So um, whether, you know, if you're probably more in the product group side, uh, developing products from a developer, you're going to have a lot different interviewing style or, or 
um, techniques and what you're going to do for more of a, a field position. So since I'm a field per, uh, person, it was more about a little, uh, you know, definitely technical skills came into play, but also your um, your soft skills, working with people, interacting with people. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the things I have done for 12 years now on a uh, regular basis is interacting with customers and ensuring that, um, you know, I'm helping solve their problems or meeting their needs and um, growing the Microsoft footprint within their company. So. Awesome. I have a question. No one else does. Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. So, um, questions around MVP stuff. I know Brian's. MVP. I don't know if Derek is. Um, okay. I don't. As a as a Microsoft person, I cannot have an MVP. So oh, okay. both both Alec and and Brian does. But if they ever go to work for Microsoft, they will lose their MVP status. We are not allowed to have MV, MVPs. Uh -huh. So. It's not it's not just Microsoft, it's any of the big three. So if Alec decides he wants to go to Amazon or Google, he'd lose mm. MVP for that too. So yeah, what's your question on the MVP? So I guess for Alec and Brian, um, do you feel like that made a difference in your careers, like it helped it anyway, or is it um, kind of a prestige thing or is in your opinion or in, in your experience, what has that done? Uh, I can go ahead. Looks like Alec's got is eaten. So, um, hey, so for me, what it has done is open doors for things like book opportunities, um, other client engagements. Uh, you get this maybe even unearned clout of like knowledge applied to you. It's like all of a sudden people think you know things you don't really know. Um, but you're asked, you get, you get emails and, and, um, and, uh, you know, message on LinkedIn all the time about things like can you speak at our user group or you know can you come can you come do this thing so those opportunities are definitely well well um they come they come a lot faster with the mvp attached to your name um personally i'm running my own company so i'm just i'm just cl a client like i do work for clients or i train um so i kind of set my rates anyway um as far as that goes i think i could probably charge a little more with that mvp by my name but uh, it, it doesn't doesn't necessarily do that um but the coolest thing honestly for me is the community of other mvps uh when i have a question and i ask another mvp a question i don't have to like feel like i'm bothering them if that makes sense what i'm saying like sometimes you might think oh they got an mvp i shouldn't ask them a question the thing is like mostly mvps most of us i would say 99 percent of us would be really happy to answer questions but it sometimes feels like you shouldn't bug us, but that's not true at all. In fact, please do. Um, but as an MVP going to another MVP, like I can message them on Teams or um, you know LinkedIn or whatever, and, and there's, autom there's automatic kind of like, um, well, I, I don't want to say fraternity, but like <laughs> you know like that. But then the other thing that's really the the cool thing is just like you get a little bit of insider knowledge, and you get to go to the MVP summit. Um, out in Seattle, um, which you pay for yourself. You don't get that, you know, the conference is free, but the travel and the lodging is not. So your company might put up for that or you might, but um, just hanging out like the hallway conversations, the, the that's worth so much to have those conversations with other people. So 
I would say that's probably been the biggest benefit for me out of all of it. And just uh, a little bit of insider knowledge, the community, and maybe a few opportunities. It's definitely like um, the opportunity to speak at Ignite is coming up in November. Uh, I never, I don't think I would have got that if I didn't have the MVP by my name. What about you, Alec? Yeah. Yeah. So I think mine is a lot newer. So, but there has been things that I've noticed that like, um, I went to Ignite and I met like, oh, let me, I'm going to sound like a terrible person here. Um, Carl Franklin was that, or no, sorry, it was Richard Campbell was that build. And I met him and chatted with him just like he was a normal person. I was like, this guy gets paid to talk to people. And he's just here BSing with me about random stuff, which was cool. Um, Seth Juarez was also at Build. And like we were in the same room and he's like a keynote speaker and on these all these big Microsoft things. It was really cool. It was kind of honestly starstruck a little bit. And then you talk to him. They're like, just normal dudes. Like, yeah, um, I'm an MVP or yeah, I work for Microsoft. Um, we're working with, I don't know how much we want to announce it yet, um, a big personality at Microsoft for our January meeting that we're going to do a joint one with KC and Iowa. Um, and the way I contacted him is I just emailed him. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll come, I'll come talk. <laughs> That's the thing I think has been the craziest is like you see MVPs or you see people kind of like what Brian was saying. And I saw this before even becoming an MVP, just how down to earth the majority of them are. It was insane. Even Javier, who's in Des Moines, he started like .NET Conf, which is like one of the biggest um, conferences in the world. I went and had lunch with him multiple times. He's just like a normal dude. <laughs> it's just like weird. So Mitch, Mitch Sellers is an MVP also, isn't he? Yeah, Correct. Mitch Sellers too. He's another one in town up in Iowa. Um, or even the guys who like, I think it also helps you get into conferences. So like, as you're starting out as I am trying to do the conference scene, it's like a check mark in the, like, this guy isn't just going to come and like spew out just garbage. I know there's at least some level of prestige there that kind of helps open the door with conferences. There was a lot when, before I was an MVP that people didn't even talk to me again about this. I rejected. I don't know who Alec is. That's like Alec MVP. It's like, a little bit of prestige that they're like okay i know we can open the door a little bit easier um past that like career-wise and day-to-day um i have a buddy who works at thoughtworks i don't know if you know the consulting company that martin fowler works at it's kind of the same thing like some people know what it is and are super blown away some people are like i don't know what mvp means like is that like a scrum certification is that like yes yeah. so <laughs> It kind of depends. Some people care. Some people don't. Some people pr- find value in it. Some people don't. Um, okay. I don't know if I've been like, man, this has completely changed my life. <laughs> it's just like a, you got to do so much to get an MVP that it was just kind of like a, and I don't want to say so much like to scare you away from doing it. It's just like the things you do, I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to continue to do these because it's cool to get recognized for it, but I was going to do it regardless. Um. Yeah, I was talking to Scott Sauber about I, whatever conference it was with all the people that he that he had went to. He was like, "Yeah, I just met uh like David Fowler, like it was normal." <laughs> this is like, yeah, all these people were there. It was like, yeah, yeah. Um, so I used to live up there. I've been to the 
Azure group and the .NET group up there in person a few times, but I, I moved to San Antonio. So I live in Texas now. Um, and kind of like you said, it's like, this is stuff I would be doing anyway. So like started, uh, have a .NET blog and stuff and like trying to get a user group started down here because there isn't one. Um, doing a code retreat early November. Um, like help teach people TDD and stuff. C Sharp is going to be one of the things there. Uh, um, so kind of just curious if that is kind of the right track for it anyway. And again, like even if MVP didn't exist, that's like stuff I'd be doing regardless. Mm -hmm. But there's like, one thing I would say your experience with that. I guess. Yeah, one thing I'd say is document everything. So mm -hmm. I can give you the high level process and tell you it depends, unfortunately, because there's so many different ways to become MVP. Some people are, I'm going to say just, but just isn't the right word. Some people like just write books. Some people just do conferences. Some people just do, and just isn't the right word, but it's like, and right. some people like Brian and I do a little bit of everything. And there's no clear cut, like, you must speak at 10 conferences a year and write 10 blog posts and run 10 user groups and then boom, you're in. It's just like a, it depends kind of thing. So if you're unfamiliar with the process, another MVP or a Microsoft employee, I think, has to nominate you. And then what you do is you start documenting everything you've done in the community. So it's the point where the documentation comes into play is you have to log everything you did, what kind of event it was. And then that goes to, I think, a committee. Somebody somewhere will then evaluate your thing and then say, like, one, what focus area should you be in? Well, should you get in or not? And then what focus area you should be because there's like different specialties mm -hmm. i think brian and i are both azure but there's also ai i think sober's dev technologies yep mm -hmm. um so it's i Mitchell. think you can even get it in office right you can get it in uh power platform m365 stuff so i would i would i would put office under that umbrella but i think if you're gonna you would need more than just office you would be you'd be advocating for like identity and power platform or uh, power apps or something like that. Um, and really what it comes down to is uh, evangelizing Microsoft really to, to be like, how are you, how are you getting Microsoft products in front of people? So if you're training people on C sharp, clearly you're getting visual studio, visual studio code in front of people. So you could put, you know, visual studio on that list and uh, maybe app service. If you're training on app service or, uh, maybe you train them on, uh, you know, uh, architecture stuff. Maybe they're doing VMs and IIS and things like that. There are all, all of those categories exist as, as like your areas of focus. And then you can put like a primary area of focus and a secondary area of focus, but really the one that matters the most is the primary. And I would say home in on something on that and, and do a lot of things around that. Um, but just be visible, tweet a lot. Um, I, you know, it may not even matter if you tweet at all. I don't or X X suite or whatever you want to call X suite. I don't know what you call it anymore. Uh, Zeet, uh, maybe that one. <laughs> um, but but what uh, what it comes down to is 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 you know just regular cadence of delivery of something useful to the community and visibility around it. So one of the things Alec and I do is we you know we do talks at conferences, but we also then create workshops around them and put them on a GitHub. Right. So even if you don't see us at the conference, you could do a walkthrough. So like you're doing your training, Daniel, you could say, OK, here's here's my training module. Right. Here it is. 
and they and you just put it out there and even if they don't come to your specific training group you can still put that as one of your activities or you know your visibilities but it is like alex said it's it's kind of like we don't know what the secret formula is if there is even a secret formula um i've seen people i, I can think of one person specifically that i think should be of an mvp and for whatever reason they never get it um and it's 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 really painful because i see the things they're doing and i'm like wow they're doing so much so there may be something and i think there also is like a regional thing um like how many people in the region have the, the mvp already and if there's too many maybe they don't accept anymore i don't know but i think that i think it does matter so if there aren't any azure mvps or c sharp mvps in texas that might actually up your chances potentially and just just a random dumb luck type of thing Right. Yeah. My my understanding is that it's like a big part of it is it's a social award, right? Like, mm. like it's your you're recognized like a community is a better word. Like you're recognized, not just that you're good at something, but like people know who you are to some degree. Yeah. Like yeah. Just contributed be, in this way. Yeah. Be visible and help okay. people. And 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 anything that you do for work, you can't count. So that's where it gets a little really hairy, but okay. like things like books, books or video courses, even though you might get paid like royalties for those, those still count because that's not your full time job. You're clearly I mean, unless you're, um, you know, like a John Grisham or something, right? You're not making a living off of writing tech books, right? And sure. I don't know, John Grisham obviously doesn't write tech books, but the, the point being like, I don't know anybody that's actually the only thing they do is write tech books because there's just it's not that lucrative. Of a, it's fun and it's really great and it challenges you as a person to put together something in a coherent fashion that people will buy and use and be useful to them but it'll not make you rich unfortunately yeah. as brian would know from experience so if you're looking for the 204 you can i check i actually out. used uh i used a lot of resources but one of them was your youtube video when i was doing that Oh really? Yeah. The one I did for opportunity. I don't remember. Like, uh, it was like AZ a three-hour video. Cram. Yep. Yeah. So that one I did for opportunity um, is a really popular, really popular video for them. So. Um, cool. And I I wonder how I should probably revisit that because at this point, like. Yeah, I think it was for 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it, like it's still, you know, a lot of overlap. But. Dude, so. Just kind of the inside, the AZ-204, um, that book that Alec just held up, I was writing that book, and literally as I was doing the second edit, they changed the exam recs. Oh, so man. I was just like, okay, chapter three is all on like infrastructure. And luckily I had realized or recognized that there's really there was really, the infrastructure piece was worth two chapters, one on the VMs and the networking part of it, the little bit you need to know as an admin, um, for the developer side, but the other part is containers and stuff. So I had split that into its own chapter, but I basically had to go back in on the edit on the on the edit on like the start of chapter three and say, by the way, this is no longer on the exam. I still think it's useful. If you want to skip this chapter, go for it, because it they okay. up until this most recent iteration, which just came out last July, May or July or something. Well, I don't know when it was. Um, the book came out in May, so it must have been March or May, somewhere in there they had always had a vm portion on the az 201 202 203 204 as it progressed and then now it's gone so 
but they containerization mm. obviously has grown and become more useful. So yeah, it I mean, makes sense that, as a developer. That's the that's the hard thing with Azure certifications. Azure's changing so quickly, and the certifications are struggling to keep up with that material. So we're changing them fairly rapidly, also. So I always have yeah, a joke it, with my customers. It's like you know why we call it Azure because as you're using it, we're changing it. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, like, if I'm doing this stuff anyway, like, whatever y'all's experience was, if it's not, like, if it's, like, the same amount of effort to just adapt it to a little bit of that stuff, and, like, I'll just do that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Cool. cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, if you're looking... If you're looking at starting a user group down in San Antonio area, um, let us know if you need to, you know, any help, any bounce, any ideas off of you. Alex and I have gone uh, through this a, a couple times. You know, I've got some colleagues within Microsoft that are, you know, starting user groups in some different areas that um, I've had discussions with. So, you know, be glad to kind of be a sounding board or, you know, give you our experience on on uh, starting and running these groups. Actually, uh, the Iowa group is already running. Actually, both groups, Iowa and Kansas City, that we, we uh, lead now, both of them were running, but had kind of gone dormant. So we kind of picked them back up and started running with them again. So some of the structure was already in place. Situation but, here uh, too. Yeah, Alex in a great, I mean, I had restarted the, the Iowa group, reached out to, uh, I did the talk to the .NET user group locally here uh, on API management services and, and just mentioned at the end of it saying, hey, I'm restarting the Azure group. If anybody's you know interested in helping me, Alex stood up and, and leaned in and, and just kind of taken off and run with the thing, so. Yeah, yeah, I've actually pinged Alec. He's given me some advice on that. Um, yeah, but I'll yeah, I'll definitely do that. I'll I'll add you on LinkedIn or something. Yeah, Alec can get you uh, you set up with nonprofit. Yeah, actually, speaking of .NET um, conf, I just got an email like a week or two ago from the .NET Foundation that they're with with the release of .NET with C sharp twelve. They're like providing a bunch of <clears throat> like payment, I guess, for materials for like the same time around .NET Conf, <clears throat> just for advertising C Sharp 12 and .NET 8, I guess. Cool stuff. So you can you can put that on your blog and get paid. Is that what you're saying? Or I think it was like we'll we'll pay for stuff like materials and resources to put together a group to talk about this stuff. Mm. Oh, so if you want to go to a physical location, we'll help with that. It's like all that stuff. That's sweet. Um, what is it called? There is a Microsoft Tech, what is it, Community? I think is what it's called. I can share that link with you. The, the, I'm butchering I know, I think it. .NET Foundation will pay for your meetup group costs, I believe. Yeah, so if you do, they will for .NET. Um, Microsoft has also, I think it's called the Tech Community Microsoft, maybe? No, um, I'll find it and send it to you. There's a meetup okay. you can do there that they'll pay for it as well. The only caveat is, is you have to have the Microsoft Code of Conduct, which okay. isn't crazy. It's just basically like, don't be a jerk. And if you're a jerk, you'll be removed. And jerk is typically like, don't be sexist, don't be racist, don't be homophobic, all that sort of stuff. If you apply by that, you're good, and then they'll pay for your meetup, which is cool. I think if you're a user group and you do follow any of those, you're not going to be a long lived user group. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's a, that's pretty that's like a Azure. 
It's pretty low that's bar. That's Azure Global, Alec. Is that the Azure Global Group on on Meetup? It's run by the Azure Marketing Group. Is that what that? Okay, that might be what yeah. it's called. I knew it worked for us, but yeah, if you're .NET, the .NET Foundation's cool. Um, but if you're gonna do Azure, I think they have one too. I thought it was just like tech communities or something weird. I didn't think it was just, maybe it is just Azure. Yeah, tech community, uh, we have a site called techcommunity.com is where all our blogs and stuff are are posted at now. Um, but it was at like Azure Global Meetup piece that you'd sent me a while ago. And that's run by the Azure Marketing Group. Gotcha, yeah. That is correct, because I see, yeah, it's the one that the Omaha user group is in and I see it popping up, you're right. But .NET San Paulo is in it, so I mean, isn't that one like massive? It is. It says there's thirty eight thousand members, so it looks like they might also let you join if you're a .NET group. I wouldn't not. I mean, you could run whichever one you want. If you want to do the .NET one, you can do that one. If you want to do the Azure one, it looks like they might let you in. Or, I mean, you could probably skirt it by if your .NET group is covering, you know developing and deploying on Azure quite a bit, um, they'll probably be glad to let you in because it's it's actually, I think that site's run, at least the guy I've talked to is um, on the app innovation side within Azure marketing, so. Okay. Yeah, the current group, the, the group here that is not really active anymore was for .NET, <clears throat> Azure, SharePoint, and Office 365. Wow. So, even if that was still active, I'd want to uh, maybe specialize. Yeah, bit. I would. I would definitely suggest specializing. That's pretty wide, wide yeah. swath of Microsoft technologies. You might as well just call yourself the Microsoft Azure user or Microsoft <laughs> user group yeah. at that point. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like COVID is COVID was not kind to user groups. It seems like quite a few of them. You know, I was even looking around like Chicago area and stuff. Um, most of the Azure user groups have have gone dormant around there. So. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I was really just, impressed with the I was like the activity. Yeah, I don't know if it's you know oh, go going remote kind of threw people for people for a loop or couldn't keep interest or or what. So yeah, it's just interesting how many have gone dormant now. Even like um so we used to do this thing in Cedar Falls called Tech Brew. Maybe they're still doing it, but I haven't heard about it for a long time. And that was just like a was it, it was an informal tech meeting, you know, like just come and have pizza and a couple drinks and talk and network so thing, things like that yeah covid just killed it yeah i guess uh i don't know i don't i don't want to take up all the time but i don't see any other questions it's just a yeah it's just an open conversation you know and one of the things that you know to be honest one of the things that the iowa group has really struggled with is attendance i mean um you know, I, I, it's something we haven't been able to figure out. We'll get um, like the discussion on functions last week or, or beginning of this week. We had 35 people signed up and I think there was eight that showed up. So. Oh, wow. You know, that's a common occurrence. We get a lot of people signing up, but then people don't come and thought, OK, having it remote would make it pretty easy over lunch, kind of a uh, lunch and learn type situation. Um, and we haven't been able to get good feedback on why people just don't show up. Hmm. I think uh, Scott had told me the .NET at noons are usually the most popular ones. Yeah, which I was surprised at. Like yeah, because they bounce around. Break, I guess they do. 
because they bounce around between virtual at noon, virtual at night, and sometimes in person at night. And he said of the three, the noon virtual tends to be the best attended. Okay. Um, I I don't know. We so next month for IMOG, uh, Source Alley wants to host an in person one. So we're planning to be in person for November, and we'll see kind of and reevaluate. But like historically, what we've seen is the company sponsoring tends to be like 99 to 95% of the attendance. So we had like one, maybe two people who weren't like directly tied to that company show up. So it doesn't really feel like a user group at that point. It feels almost like uh, we are there, but somebody is like, uh, it's like a community, it's like a company event almost. And there's like one or two outsiders and it just feels a little yeah, weird. Um, I don't, I don't know the secret sauce here in Omaha, but the .NET user group, well, I guess I, I kind of know it. Um, Pre-pandemic, they were looking at like 40 to 60 people per event. And now yeah. they average somewhere like 20 to 40. And I talked to them every now and again. They're like, yeah, like the numbers we get sometimes would be like, we would have been destroyed if this was the number before the pandemic. Because like, there's like almost nobody. And I'm like, the Azure user group here, like, doesn't pull nearly those numbers and i don't think did before the pandemic so it's just it's hard because it's like everybody even that are still doing decently in person definitely is doing much less than what they did and i don't know i don't know if people aren't going to the offices anymore so it's like we don't want to you know am i going to leave my house at 5 30 to go to a user group or you know five for the first time today and sometimes I'll be honest, I was like, nah, I don't feel like it today. Or I would just forget about it. And I'd be like, well, I have to do a 20, 30 minute drive across town because of rush hour. Yeah. Um, well, I saw Meetup the ni- has hybrid events now, finally. They do. And the nice thing is have have the, having those Sorry, remote engagements, having those remote engagements allow us to pull people in. You know, we bill ourselves as like the Iowa, Iowa Microsoft Azure group on the Iowa side. Um, you know, but we're based out of Des Moines. If we have events and Des Moines, live events there in Des Moines, doing that remote, we can pull people from across the state, across the country, across the world even. I mean, we've had people come in um, from other countries that, you know, uh, attended our, our events and stuff. So, it get, it, you know, even with that saying, we still get pretty lean turnout on, on events and stuff. So. I mean, Daniel's in Texas right now, so it's like prime example. If we were in person, we wouldn't see him. Except maybe like a couple times yeah. a year, Max. <laughs> I guess like what is your experience with you just rely on word of mouth and that like snowballing? You have to advertise anywhere or um I don't like know if we found numbers. a good place to advertise other than like I posted on LinkedIn, Derek usually posts it. I think uh RJ usually posts it. Like other than that though, um there's some groups on LinkedIn that I'll occasionally post it to. But I feel like it artificially inflates our numbers sometimes because we get like random. I don't know if they're real people or not. Like they'll join mm-hmm. and like it's the only group I can see they're a part of and they don't actually show up to the meeting itself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a. I don't know if that's a real person that's joining or, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and then I don't know it. I want to find a way to get out there to as many people as possible, but I think we're still trying to figure out what that looks like. And uh, we're we're discussing going like full sail into the fully remote. 
I don't know if we up until this point had decided that like that's where we were going to do a primary. We we're still kind of in a look and see kind of thing, but I think why not double it down, try to push a little bit bigger than just Iowa and we can be the virtual one. Mm. Um, It'd be cool. Yeah. And usually for, for marketing too, if it's a, uh, I think a, an event that has, you know, it's pretty big interest or pretty hot topic, say AI, we did one on AI earlier this year. Um, I'll reach out internally to my colleagues throughout Microsoft because we're I'm in the West Midwest region, so I can reach out to them and have them start pinging their customers and stuff and, and send it out to try to get a little bit more traction at that point. But yeah, um, it's like where do you market to, to technology people? Um, LinkedIn seems to be the best place so far. OK. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I'm looking at the, the meetup. There were some questions and asked by people who aren't here. Um, who might listen back to this. Do you guys want to take a look through any of those and see? Um, I see one, uh, how to pursue a career within Azure integration services. What do I do after AZ900? How do I learn if I'm not working actively with that? Should I get my own subscription? My trial is finished. So the question, first part, uh, what do I do after AZ900? So AZ900, of course, is the fundamentals exam. That never expires. Um, so I recommend everybody take it, even though it's never required for anything, because it sets you up for success, whether you're going to go the admin side or the developer side. Um, as you learn about the architecture within Azure, it helps to position you to answer questions should you see them on security and different things about locking down your network or potentially, you know, making your, your app service not available if you're a developer or if you're, you know, the admin side, you know, going deeper with like network security groups and things like that. So understanding how Azure just builds out their systems and and builds them for resiliency, understanding the, the layout of a data center and then the different regional zonal things that they do, that AZ900 covers all that and that plays out in almost every single exam. Um, so what do you do next? Well, that really depends on your your hopes and your dreams. Um, again, there's multiple paths. If you want, you can look at the Azure poster. Usually the Azure poster has, um, you know, the Azure side of things. It has the M365 side of things. It has the security. It has uh, power platforms, whatever. You know, there's like five different paths you can take. Um, so assuming you're wanting to go to Azure, um, you know, talking about integration services, probably you're looking at uh, more of the admin side of thing, I would guess. Um, you're looking at how to do like the AZ-104 next, which would be the Azure Admin Associate. So it's a, a fairly comprehensive exam. It's not an easy exam by any, you know, any sort of the word, but uh, how, do, how do I go about that to train it? Kind of answering another question I saw down here was how to set up a lab for Azure certification without spending a lot of money. So uh, cost is always a big concern. And I try to always keep that in mind when I'm building out training programs. What you will find is that, uh, first of all, there is an Azure certification or an Azure subscription you can get for 12 months, which gives you $200 of credit. Uh, and you get that, you get to use that over the 12 months, but there's also a bunch of free things you can get along the way. And, you know, things like Azure Functions that are consumption-based never really cost any money. Um, Azure Storage is fairly cheap until you start doing other things with it. So you can do a lot of the basic stuff without spending a lot of money. On the admin side, however, the AZ-104, when you start th building things like firewalls and, and uh, web application gateways, things like that, those are going to start costing money. So how do you do that? Um, the best thing I can say is, you know, obviously, if you have the credits, you could use them. 
If not, just plan on doing your training in a small chunk and only keep it up for a little bit of time because those will run, uh, those will run the bill up. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is if you have, a, if you're working for a company and you have a Microsoft subscription for like Visual Studio, there's a professional subscription. There's also the enterprise subscription, depending on what level your company's at and what they're providing you. If they do that, then you have the ability to go to myvisualstudio.com and you can sign up for your Azure credits. On the professional plan, you get $50 a month. On the enterprise plan, you get $150 a month. That's a subscription that you can do anything you want on. However, the caveat to that, the final caveat to that is if you're working for a company and it's under their umbrella, there may be things you can't do because their governance might prevent you from doing something in that tenant. So perhaps you're trying to create a, you know, a network and then add some sort of network routing into that via uh, a firewall or whatever it might be. And perhaps the company says you can't deploy that in the subscription. So just keep that in mind. It may not be the end all, you know, but it may be enough to get you to the place. Use the free services when you can. There's almost always a cheap or a free version of almost everything that you can try um, to get going. And then if it, you know, if it's a more advanced service, like, um, an, you know, a hub or a service bus or something, you're going to have a nominal fee until you really start using it. Um, and then, of course, the networking stuff can get really expensive really fast if you're not careful. So, you know, and if you spin up, go ahead. Oh, I was say infrastructure as code is going to be your friend at that point too, because you're going to be able to tear up and 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 build up, you know, quickly. So you could, you know, if you want to play with the technology, um, throw some vice up at it, create it, play with it, mm -hmm. tear it down. If you need it back, just throw your vice up back up then. Yeah, that's a great point. And and that bicep will play out in the AZ104. It'll also play out in the AZ400. So that would be, you know, maybe the next step, which is the DevOps expert. Um, because that, that gives you the chance. So you can either go to the AZ-104 or the AZ-204, and then from there you go to the AZ-400, which is your DevOps expert. And that gets you, uh, that's the things like, you know, pipelines, YAML, um, IAC stuff, um, you know, building out your automations on Azure DevOps or GitHub. Um, and so both of those come from the 104 and the 204 path. I will say this, again, it's not required to do both the 104 and the 204, but if you're gonna take the 400, I would highly recommend you if you you know pass the 104 at least look at the 204 stuff and learn the same thing if you pass the 204 at least look at the stuff in 104 because both of those play out in the 400 and it just kind of having some idea of what might be asked and, and knowing how that works together on the, on the devops could make your exam a little more smooth the cool thing about exams now is they do have access to learn and I'm one that did not take the 104. I did the 204 route and then took the 400. And I still think 400 was the one of the easiest exams I had done. So, really, yeah. okay, cool. But I had taken. I had actually. I'll caveat that because I took the the what was it the um, 301, 302, the Azure Architecture exam, which was heavy mm -hmm. with infrastructure stuff. So, yes, um, I'm an app dev guy, but I had to know all the um, infrastructure stuff for the Architect one, which helped me on the AZ 400. Yeah, so the 104 is kind of the precursor to that. Now the 305, they combine those two into one exam at this point. And so if you go the 104 route and you don't want the DevOps, the other option is the solution architect expert. And that's what Derek was just talking about. That's the nice one for like, okay, I guarantee you if you get the 305, 
you're going to get more opportunities because every company is trying to do migrations into Azure right now. And that 305 is positioning you to understand how to help them do that. I think so, migrations are like everybody is doing something as far as like limiting cost, limiting access, uh, migrating to the cloud. Are we doing this the right way? Like mm -hmm. just about anybody, any company like, am I doing this the right way? So saying like, yeah, I know by the book what the right way is um, definitely helps because then you can, you know, hopefully then you can deduce the roadmap of here's where the traditional right way is. Um, and then here is, you know, a step list to get there, uh, whether it's, you know, minimizing cost, whether it's, you know, our devs have too much access. Uh, we want to get this workload into the cloud. What's the best way to even do that? Um, can we incrementally do that? Like there's a bunch of different pieces that you then would be able to answer with that. Um, but yeah, I wholeheartedly agree there. Um, what has your guys' experience been with certifications? Have you noticed any, have a lot of jobs, Derek, I know yours might be an exception, but have you guys noticed any jobs where you need a certification? Or they do they I even care? <laughs> I just saw one the other day that said Azure Solutions Architects certificate, not necessarily preferred, but recommended or like was one of the bonuses. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, like the nice um, to haves. Yeah, but that's like, you know, if you're looking at like principal architect for a you know company, principal Azure architect or something like that, or like um, Azure Solutions Architect uh, from Microsoft, right? So if I'm trying to get in at Microsoft, I can't imagine the 305 wouldn't help me because having that on my on my resume they'll be like oh this dude's already taking the time to figure out what we need him to be doing daily on a daily basis for our clients right um depending on what position but, you have within microsoft too you may be required to have it anyway so um that's why you know all my certifications were basically requirements so um if i okay. wanted to keep my job i had to get those certifications done over a period of time it's yeah, interesting. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Alec. I was going to say, there's been some I looked at applying-wise that they're like, this is recommended or preferred. I even had one that said, like, within so many months, this is going to be required as, like, a don't apply here if you don't think you can do this or don't want to do this. Um, mm -hmm. And they they were specifically, like, architect Azure, Azure architect roles. So it kind of made sense. But outside of that, I don't know if I've seen a lot of... Like some companies either don't care about certs or they care a lot. And yeah. I don't know if I've seen really a middle so, ground. Maybe it is, but go ahead. So again, the idea of the Microsoft partnership used to be a lot different. Uh, you could get a gold or a silver partnership, but it's always had some sort of like requirement of people having certifications on your team, right? It's different now, but they still have. So if you see a company and they want to get Azure solutions partner in a specific tech, they have to have a certain number of people with that certification. So you may see companies that want people with certifications just to keep that partnership level active. Um, that's not the best reason to have our, a solution or, you know, a, 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 sorry, a certification, but it can't hurt you, right? And it certainly would help your company with that there's there's a lot of benefits that go with being a partner with microsoft so even from an enterprise side i mean i see customers that as they start adopting azure um you know they'll send 
mass quantities of their staff through at least AZ 900 to under, make sure they understand the basics. And then some of those, depending on their position, may go further into AZ, you know, they may want them to get a AZ 104 from the administrative side or uh, 204 from the, from the developer side. So there'll be lower numbers, but I see, you know, large numbers going through at least the AZ 900 certification. Well, and I think it helps too, because like that selling point of it never expires. Like it, one, it lays a good foundation, and two, like once you get it, it's yours forever. Like, yeah, I got mine three years ago now, I think. And oh, the, <laughs> the, re, the renewal process is so much easier nowadays. So that's true it, too. Yeah. So yeah, and and even the the certifications have changed now. That it used to be almost kind of a regurgitation of material you could you know people could sit there and consume all this knowledge and just regurgitate it out without having really much real world experience with it where now it's like there's actually a section of those certifications where you're in the portal doing real world stuff and and have to know um how to actually do this stuff not just about it type of thing yeah and i think learn I don't know if you touched on this or not, Brian. Learn is starting to get better and better with sandbox environments. So if you start going based on like a certain career or a certification path, there's more and more learn modules that will actually let you spin up. They're very restricted. So it's only like within the scope of the learn module, but whatever you're supposed to do in that module, you can spin up the resources for free. I don't think you even need a subscription because it'll actually spin one up. So no credit card, no, no any of that. And you could theoretically then prepare for, you know, 900, 204, 104, all that stuff. And it sometimes is a little bit more demo-y, so they'll like really be catered to driving a point point home, which is nice. Um, and you can jump in there and those seem to be getting better and better every day. Yep, Microsoft Learn. So everything got revamped about a year and a half ago at this point. And now that's the number one place you want to go if you're trying to get certificate certifications. You can find all the material there. Like Alex said, there's going to be um, there's going to be sandboxes for some of them, not for all of them. So if you are cost conscious, you know, and you need to have something, if the module happens to provide a sandbox, you get it for like an hour or something. You can do ten of those a day, and I've never used more than three or four, even in like my deepest study sessions, because that's like two or three hours of studying. And let's be honest, after that your brain's fried. So <laughs> ten a day is plenty. Um, of those sandboxes. But unfortunately, it's not for all of them. A lot of times you'll see the same kind of activity, but it'll say you have to use your own subscription. So for those, you still have to do your own, but there there are quite a few that do have sandboxes available, which are cool. Um, but yeah, Microsoft Learn, get yourself a profile, look up the exam. There's always gonna be a list of learning. It's a learning path with a bunch of sections, and then each section has some learning modules in it. And each one of those learning modules has like 12 steps or something. And so you can go through them at your own pace and it'll keep track of how many you've done. You get trophies and awards and all that jazz on your profile. Big deal, but it's awesome. A little sticker um, says, I did this. You can put it on your LinkedIn if you really want to. Um, and then ultimately now the badging credential, I think is going to be going through there too. So I think the other and, stuff and, is you know, a lot changing. Of, a lot of that content is directly aimed at the certifications. So, you know, yes. if you do like the, the DevOps stuff, through Azure Learn, it mirrors a lot of what's on the AZ400 type certification. Yeah. Do you guys uh, have, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, you're fine. I was gonna say, like, what, what would you say has been the most 
maybe frustrating isn't the right word, but like the certification that you guys have grown the most from or like it's the most valuable like i know you said 900 isn't really like it's a good foundation but has there been one where you're like wow that was actually really beneficial and i'm glad i did it um i mean i guess it could be 900 if that's how it got you to get the ball rolling but i was just kind of curious do you have like a favorite most useful exam Derek, do you have one uh, 305, 305, you know, what I did, it was actually two exams, um, like three, like 303 and 304 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, man, they were tough. Um, uh, you know, th- I just, I had to learn a lot of stuff. I, w- I wasn't an infrastructure person. So all the networking and stuff that, um, I spent a lot of time studying for, um, and was when I passed the first section of that, I literally about jumped up out of my seat cheering. So, but it was probably by far the most beneficial for me. Yeah, I'm gonna echo the 305 as well. I think that's probably the single most useful certification out there today. Um, again, simply from the fact that what I've seen in the in the workplace is migration, you know, site to site, networking, and as an app developer, it has helped me a ton to understand this stuff because now I can create a secure web solution. I'm not just going to throw an app service out there that has a storage account and everything's open to the public anymore. Like before I would have done that, been like, yeah, it's fine. Now I'm like, no, why would we do that? We can put this on a VNet and lock it down. And then the only people who can get in are people we want in or put it behind a web application gateway. Now, some of that plays in in the 204, but that 305, basically the 104, 305 path, um, mostly for me because I didn't really know that stuff very well. I was always on the app dev side. I knew how to do IIS on VMs, but that's not what those are about. That's about, these are about like, you know, setting it up in Azure and and actually providing a business environment for an application that's real world facing, that's protected, that's secure. I think the AZ500 follows that up really closely. Uh, Just the security aspect of things and understanding how to do security around Azure environments which then since the AZ 500, they've actually split out now and they have a whole SC path. So like the SC 100, 200, 300, SC 900 is the Azure or the security fundamentals. I would highly recommend that um, for anyone as well. Just And the D- data fundamentals, the DP 900, all those fundamentals, there's an AI fundamentals as well, which I haven't done. I'm not, I haven't gotten much into AI. I'm gonna leave that to Alec. But um, I, I do think that that 305 is probably the, the the most helpful now the most fun exam i ever took was az220 which unfortunately just got retired which was the iot um because as a developer i do a lot of crud websites and it was so much fun to just do development around like ingestion of data and like analyzation of that data and kind of understanding that path too so there is a there's also a data engineer path that i haven't done which would get you if you're into big data data science i think that's pretty valuable too but i don't know how to do any of that stuff yet yeah, I've been working on doing my AI, AI 900. Just uh, I've studied. I just haven't got around to taking the taking the exam. And then I want to do AI 102 after that. So. Okay, what's the 102? Um, I, I think it's AI for developers, basically deeper dive. So mm-hmm. nice. Okay. It is. What well, I can get you the exact title, maybe. So that's kind of the path I'm on. And then. Um, I, I, I want to get my GitHub certifications. I think they're going to be fairly easy to do, but I have not 
just taking the time to sit down and do GitHub certification. Nice thing is, is that I get certifications for free, so it doesn't cost me anything to to do any of the certifications since I'm a Microsoft employee. That's Designing nice. and implementing a Microsoft Azure AI solution. That's what uh, 102 stands for. But nice. I think the thing I would plug is, and this is as somebody who doesn't have a lot of, I, I took some courses and tried to do a certification or two and got like really close and then got discouraged and then life. And um, so I'm planning, I want to get back into doing the certifications. I think 104 and 204 or tend to be pretty easy for companies if anybody's looking for tips, just because they're the gatekeepers for Microsoft partnership. So if your company doesn't have that yet, might be a good gateway for you to get in there and say like, hey, you could probably get the 900 too, um, just to say like I'm preparing for it. But if you're trying to make a call to somebody to pay for it for you, uh, that'd be the easier call from probably a company perspective. And then if you like it and see that, like, hey, I like these exams, I like studying for it, I like the growth and the goals, because, like, I mean, it feels good to get a certification at the end of something or, you know, an accreditation or whatever. Is it a certification? A badge? What do they call it? An award? So, so yeah, so there's, you get, you get an, uh, like, a badge or something for passing the exam itself, but then when you get the actual certification, there's, like, this little, like, it looks like a shield and has yeah. a the certification number on it and all that stuff. Um, it's just kind of nice to have those on your profile, but yeah. So when you, when you sign up for learn, um, the other tip is don't sign up with your company account, sign up with your personal account, because this is going to go with you no matter where you go. You can always associate your work account to it, but do not use your work account. Cause if you lose access to that email, you will have a battle to get that information back to your own profile that you can control. So um, make sure you sign up for learn under your own personal profile and just link your work profile to it if your work cares about stuff. <laughs> I actually did not even realize there were GitHub certifications. Yep. So there's, I think, three. Um, the uh, GitHub Actions, GitHub um, Admin, and then there's a GitHub Security. Or I'd have to go look at them again. But GitHub Actions is, is the one I'm primarily interested in, in getting. So. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. Oh, go ahead. That's it. GitHub Universe is a thing now, right? That's like a conference, and you can actually be like a a GitHub certified partner. I don't know what you have to do to do that, but I've seen a few people start putting that on their um, company's sites. So I don't, I don't know what the requirements are, like the Microsoft partner, but maybe it's something that people could look into, but and then they have GitHub Universe, which is like their version of like Build and Ignite, I think. They have like a conference where everybody gets together and they talk about what's new in GitHub. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Any last questions, Daniel, since you're the lone survivor at this point? <laughs> I don't think so. I think yeah, I feel like I picked y'all's brains a lot. So, um, I appreciate one other it. thing. Uh. One other thing that just popped into my head as well. So if you're looking to get training and you don't have a lot of resources, Microsoft also does virtual training days. If you just Google Microsoft virtual training days, um, they fill up quickly, but they have a lot of free trainings where sometimes on those, if you attend the whole thing 
and are present and you can get credit to get a certificate um, or a voucher for a certification as well. So like an AI 900 or AZ 900 they might offer. Um, you could look at that. They have other things like app dev security and other things that they do out there too that don't have certification pass, but they're really good to know. So yeah. free training. Microsoft also historically, whenever there's a big event, we'll do a push towards like, I think the last one was a lot of the 900s. You could go through a learn learning path and then you got a, uh, a certificate that's valid for like a year or something to take that. And the certificate works, I think, on any exam. You can correct me if so, I'm wrong there. So there's two levels of exams. So there's the fundamentals exams, which are typically going to run you about $99, if I recall correctly. Uh, if you get a fundamentals voucher, you can typically use it for any of the fundamentals. Even if I turned okay. it under Azure fundamentals, you could still use it for AI fundamentals. However, you can't use it for AZ 104, 204, 305. Those are the, the associate and the expert level exams. Those are going to run you about $165 per. And there's a different voucher. But again, if I, let's say I train you for your, your company to hires me to come in and train you as part of the training uh, initiative, we might include vouchers, right? And those vouchers would be typically towards, let's say I was training on AZ-204, those vouchers would qualify for the AZ-204, but because they're a $165 voucher, you could technically, if you already had the 204, use it for the 104. Um, they're pretty interchangeable that way, but not across the barrier. So like I can't use a fundamentals voucher to take a, an associate level exam. Gotcha. Cool. And Microsoft might also, if you do like the Microsoft training days, they might also have a special way to lock it down too that I'm not aware of that it says, you know, this absolutely only works for the AZ-900 or something. So. Mm -hmm. I, do think, I do think there's like occasional ones that are just a little higher than the 900s too. So if you do want not 900 exams, I believe they've had a few also. So just keep an eye out and make sure when you pick your learning path, if you're trying to get a free voucher out of it, just make sure it aligns with whatever exam you want to take is the easiest way to do it. But Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. It was, it was fun chatting with you all and uh, see everybody in about a month. Thanks for joining, Daniel. Yeah, thank you. Take care, guys. Awesome. Thanks see for having me, guys. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on Azure Cloud Talk. We hope our conversation not only provided you with insightful perspectives, but also helped to illuminate the vast potentials of Azure Cloud. Remember, the cloud is the limit when it comes to innovation and growth. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with those who you think could benefit from it. We'll be back soon with another exciting exploration of Microsoft's Azure universe. In the meantime, if you have any questions, feedback, or topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to reach out to us via our LinkedIn or social media channels. Stay curious, keep learning, and until next time, this is your host signing off from Azure Cloud Talk, your gateway to the cloud world. Take care and happy cloud journey. This voice was created with Azure Speech Services. Have a great day.